electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. Your game plan for the second half of the year. More committee members debating the road ahead for your money today. Joining me for the hour, Josh Brown, Jenny Harrington, and top-ranked financial advisor Richard Saperstein of Hightower. Everybody's here in the house. Check the markets. Carl just said got a pretty good session going here. Dow's good for 150, one half of a percent. S&P about three quarters of one percent. There's the Nasdaq, the winner today, up better than one percent. Josh, I'll turn to you. Uh, consumer confidence, best read since January of 22. Yeah. Strong new home sales. You told me the other day you liked the tape. Uh, so looking at the setup for the second half, do you like it as well? I still like it. I, and the main reason why I was uh, speaking so ebulently about the tape so to speak, is not just because of what the S&P 500 is doing on a day-to-day basis, but because of how many opportunities there are out in the market. And and I'm talking about dispersion and different sectors and different catch-up trades happening all over the place. A couple of weeks ago, not very long ago, the narrative was it's just seven stocks, blah, 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 blah. Well, that's changed. And now you hear from companies like Delta that are not involved with AI, <laughs> I don't think. And, you, you know, you're seeing this from home building related stocks this morning. I don't know if you know this existing home sales, third straight month of higher prices. I thought the housing market was down for the count. New home Guess, sales rising at the fastest pace in a year. No doubt, Cub Scout. Yep. So this is what I want to say. You have a lot of dispersion, a lot of ways to make money. You do not have to chase Apple and, uh, and Microsoft. And that, to me, is a better tape than where this rally started. Let's call it April, May-ish. The, the, the June market, that tape, I think is uh, significantly better. Now, stocks aren't necessarily cheap. And I want to point out, when you look at a sector-by-sector basis, so top-down from a sector level, there are only three sectors currently trading at a lower P.E. ratio than their own 20-year average. Energy is one. It's a, it's a 10x P.E. versus a, a 14 longer-term average. Communications is 17 right now versus an average of 19. And then real estate, which nobody wants to be caught dead in. I get it. 16 versus 17. Outside of that, you do have premium valuations around the market. And I just think it's important to be uh, even-handed about the opportunities going forward. I don't think it's a spree, buy whatever you want, you'll make money. I I do think that you're going to have to balance the optimism of how stocks are acting with a little bit of pessimism about the fact that we're just not that cheap right now. Yeah, Jenny, so breadth of the market, um, 69% of S&P stocks were up yesterday. Josh said it's not just the Magnificent Seven uh, and everything else, and that is deemed by many to be a, a really good sign as you head into the second half. I think so. I think that, you know, we were talking for so long about the seven and then the other 493, and it's the 493 that are really starting to play out. And it's kind of cool. I'm looking right now at our dividend income strategy, and you see the top performers today are things like SL Green, Whirlpool, Kohl's, Fortress Transportation, um, 
for now they call it Fortress Aviation, New York Community Bank. Like that's really amazing to see those outperforming. In our growth portfolio today, we've got JetBlue, XPO, Schwab, Marriott, Aptiv, URI, and these stocks are performing so well. And they're not, you know, they're not part of that narrative of the, it wasn't even the first half really. It was like the three months following SVB where the entire narrative was around seven stocks. So I, for one, am definitely seeing it broadening out. It gives me a lot of relief and confidence that we're in a healthier place. Okay, Mr. Mountain of Cash over there on the end, <laughs> smiling the whole way, listening to what our two committee members have said. You've been pretty, pretty defensive. Yep. You've been pretty cautious. Mm -hmm. Are you still as we make the turn on the back nine of the year? Well, certainly acknowledge that the market's pushed through three bank failures, uh, rising Fed funds, global central bank tightening, no question. But the tape has really expanded only because of PE multiple expansion. So it's been led by tech. Uh, the average stock really isn't doing very well. Uh, and I think there's some headwinds that we're facing. So we've got consumer and industrial loans uh, pretty much stalled out. Leading economic indicators have been down for 12 months, uh, nine months of new orders declining, and we have an historic tightening going on right now where M2 is contracting more than any time since the Fed's been keeping records since 1959. And yet here we are, right here in the are. face of all of that. Here, 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 we, here we are. Comment, um, if you're looking year to date, it's true. The average stock is not having that much forward progress. but. That's a cherry pick time frame. Like we, you and I could both cherry pick mm -hmm. our own time frames. If you look at the last three months, if you just look at the month of June, that's not the case. And then I'm just looking at a very cyclical area of the market, uh, Dow Jones transportation average. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at the individual stocks in there. 25% of the components of the, of the Dow transports are now at 52 week highs. This is the highest level since early 2022. It's a five standard deviation move um, above the mean reading, which is normally 2%. That's a sector full of stocks that are highly sensitive to the economy. Yes, the airlines are skewing it, but very many, 95% of the stocks in there are above their 50-day, 80% of the above their 200. Okay, so a lot of so, that's a function of travel, which is, uh, there's a pent-up demand. Oh, I know there's a reason, but I'm just saying it's a lot of stocks going up. I'm going to finish what I'm just okay. saying. So there's a clear pent-up demand for services versus purchases, which we had post-COVID. I'm looking forward. Looking forward, the data is showing that the economy is slowing. And so that's one of my concerns in terms of adding to equities. Look, we trimmed equities 5%, 10% across the board 18 months ago. We haven't added it back. We've been doubling down on buying bonds. There's outstanding opportunity in bond market. And for someone who's not limited to one asset class, I'm taking advantage of the bond market. Sure, but everything that you laid out in your view of what's happening now, you could have said in January, and I would have said, uh-huh, mm -hmm. uh-huh, I get it, and here we are. Right. So what does that tell you about the, the market's desire, if you will, to move potentially higher in the second half of the year? Because it's already seen through a, a lot of the things that you mentioned. She's raising her hand. I know she's going to have to wait a second. Please wait a second. Please. Okay. Don't get so me in trouble. I'm waiting, though. As, as we move forward, the market's going to have to face uh, a lot of economic challenges. Okay. The Fed's tightening 15 months of raising Fed funds, 500 basis points, and we're going to just walk right past that and have a recovering stock market with any impact. I don't see it happening. But why are we here, though? Then why are we here where we are now? We are here because of multiple expansion. Okay. And tech has driven the whole market higher. Okay. 
So, and look, by the way, we're overweight tech, so we're in good shape. In but, other words, in other words, th there are people who have been bearish and have been hating on this market mm -hmm. from the beginning of the year. And here we are. And yet I still read notes from Marco Kalanovic of J.P. Morgan. We expect a more challenging backdrop for stocks in the second half and believe risk reward remains unattractive. OK, risk reward might remain unattractive, but somehow the reward is beating out the risk. Right, but we all own stock portfolios. So if we have 30 stocks, okay, how many of the stocks this year have really worked out, okay? I think if we really look at that, all the tech exposure, the home building exposure has worked out, but the average stock has not worked out this year. So we're talking about a market that's up 14%, yet the average stock has not done well. Granted, transportation will do well because the airlines have huge pent-up demand for travel, services, that will continue. My point is that we're going to watch the lag effect of the Fed tightening occur. Not to mention, TGA rebuild is going to occur. $100 billion a month is going to go into that second half of the year, as well as QT for $100 billion a month. That's $200 billion a month of liquidity draining out of the system in the next six months. So my view is where I am an asset allocator and a money manager. I and a good find, one. Uh, and a good one. Arguably. But I could find opportunities in many different sectors right now. Okay, so right. Jenny, what did you want to say? So that, that's it. When Marco Kalanovic says something like risk return is getting harder to come by, he's talking about the S&P. He's talking about the broad market. What I think is really interesting, what Rich is highlighting, is that we're in tighter conditions. We're in historically tight conditions. My partners and I went to the um, NAREIT, the National Association of Real Estate Investment Trust Conference, a couple weeks ago. And I love this conference because when you look at REITs, like even though they're real estate companies, they're touching every area of the economy. And here's our note that basically we concluded the conference with. Environment is tighter, growth is harder to achieve. But you look at a market like today, and let's cherry pick on SL Green, right? So, so even though you've got this market with extended valuations, and I can actually almost argue for that being okay, because if you correlate valuations with inflation, mm -hmm. as inflations come down, it actually supports an 18-ish to 20-ish you know, times multiple on the market. But setting that aside, let's look at SL Green. So here you have this whole pile of stocks that were totally ignored, totally tossed out for the beginning of the year. And I think what ultimately supports the market broadly is the fact that they were so undervalued, so neglected, that now you actually have potential to see in significant significant increases. SL Green, by the way, is up 40% in a month. Right. It's, it was up 20% yesterday. It's up t almost 10% today. Why? Because they sold half of their stake in 245 Park Avenue to a Japanese investment trust. And what did that tell everyone? That told everyone, hey, wake up. These assets actually have value. This, this building is still worth $2 billion. Mm -hmm. People are still paying rents. The, the price that it traded at was, was like a really high valuation in a positive way. Oh, sorry, go ahead. All but I'm saying is with tightening conditions, there's still opportunity to so be So what happens, Rich, if the lag effects are so dramatically long mm -hmm. that if Credit Suisse today is right, no recession, excuse me, no recession until 2026. Yep. If they're right, what are you going to do? What, what gets me to turn, okay, and become more bullish on the stock market? Yeah. Okay. like to see uh, get past the TGA rebuild and the QT second half of the year. Uh, declining inflation towards the 3% level. Uh, You're talking about the Treasury general account? Yeah, the Treasury general account where Yellen drew it down. No, I know. I just want to make sure everybody okay. when you say TGA what uh, we're talking about. I want to see inflation move lower. 
And I think unemployment's got to move higher. I agree with all your points. I think those are the big headwinds that market participants should be focused on as like the risks. Mm -hmm. I guess my question would be, what, what are stock prices looking like if and when those insurmountable obstacles actually get surmounted? Is there still an opportunity to buy at that yeah. point? when we've beaten all the, the, the main bosses on, on the higher boards? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and right now, so our broad outlook is for a slowdown. And so we're positioned now in the bond market where we will take advantage of a slowdown through all the bonds that we're buying. So if I miss 5% in stock pricing, 5 or 10% move in the market, I'm fine because we've got great positioning in, in bonds right I now. I know, but what's your tolerance? Let's say the S&P is up 15%. Let's just say, for argument's sake, I don't know oh, okay. what your numbers are. Let's just say you missed 15%, yeah. right, because you weren't positioned for it. Mm -hmm. At what point do you look at that and say, you know what? I'm chasing now because I can't sit on the sidelines anymore. And you represent a lot of people who are in the similar position, who were rightly positioned, who are now watching the train go way down the track. Yeah, I don't mind jumping on the train two stops down when the fundamentals are improved because our clients are more concerned about the return of capital than the return on capital. That's a good point. So, so the clients you know, are. I've got to I've got to look at the environment and think about like what's going on underneath with all the data. So, sure, I might miss a move in the market this year, which, by the way, we haven't because we're overweight large cap tech. Our largest positions are all the big names. You're trimming Microsoft, though, right? Because it got too big. Had to trim it, and I wanted to add some different names, but. You know, that, that was a, a good problem to have. Yeah, no doubt. To, to Rich's point, the bond market, for the first time in a really long time, actually has something to offer, even in real terms. If you think uh, CPI is coming down into a three-handle at some point in the second half of this year, and you can now put away uh, treasury bonds, you could put away munis with uh, better yields than that, even if you have the roll risk because you're buying six-month T-bills, that's still not nothing. And for clients who are risk averse, who have already made most of the money they're ever going to make, exactly. and you're managing a retirement portfolio that they can't add to, this is it. You have to think differently. And the word chase can't be in your vocabulary. The other thing I want to point out, most of us who manage money are managing international portfolios. If you don't like the S&P up 15% on the year, if you don't like tech trading at a 27 times uh, multiple, just take a look at other opportunities. The all-country world index right now is selling at a multiple of 12.7 times earnings. That is a 32% discount to the S&P 500's multiple. The all-time highest discount ever was 2021. It sold at a 35% discount. And if you remember, there was a snapback. 22, we had great performance. The dollar peaked in September. It's down 12% off those highs. Doesn't really show many signs of perking back up even with concurrent rate hikes, there might be a great catch-up trade to be had without buying the most expensive stocks in the world, which are the Magnificent Seven and similar. Well, Jenny, Jenny, what do we think about the not only the Magnificent Seven, but just tech in general, NASDAQ. NASDAQ is undefeated in July since 2007, okay? Hasn't had a down July since 07. Krinsky, though, Jonathan Krinsky, BTIG, as we highlighted for you yesterday, says they think that changes this year. Um, you've had tech outflows the most negative since July, according to Bank of America and their flows. And you're in the midst of the third best first half ever for the NASDAQ. Thank you to Bespoke 
for that staff and then our own team is uh, about to have its best first happen in some four decades. Well, I think any prudent fiduciary of institutional money or their own portfolio says, hey, this is now overweight. I need to rebalance. So even if you want to justify 29, 30, 60 times earnings on some of these stocks, even if you want to justify that, and this goes to Rich, Rich's point exactly about reducing Microsoft. Why did you reduce Microsoft? Simply because it was too big. And I think people are going to look at these portfolios and simply say, we have too much exposure Well, you there. trimmed Meta for right. the, for the same reasons, for right? For the same reason. Um, and so we, now that's a 2% position and it'll grow and that's great. And I, you know, there's a city upgrade out, or sorry, city increase on price target on it. And I think that that's a viable. A new, a new street high, by the way, to $360 from 315. That's near 30%. And when upside. I first saw that, I was really wary of it. And then I actually went and read their notes on it. And they said they think that they're getting to $20 of earnings in 2024. If they do, then it's only trading at 14 times right now with significant earnings growth ahead. So it's actually reasonable. But I think what slow down the big seven, what slows down tech is just prudent portfolio management and rebalancing. Yeah, Scott, uh, there's a lot of confusion about buying short-term treasuries and why there's value in it. We don't see value in six-month treasuries, even though it's the highest part of the yield curve. We're buying right, right. more than 5%, right? Right. We're buying long-term munis now, figure 4% tax-free yield, because if the economy slows or if the market goes down, those bonds are going to go up in value. Not to mention, guy sends it, sells his business, gets 25, 50, 100 million bucks. He doesn't want a lot of risk in the market. He wants that cash flow tax-free from a safe bond portfolio that benefits from a slowing economy. Yeah, he took the risk off. That's why he sold the business. Exactly. That's, right. So that's really that's where right. we're at on that. That's right. You want to comment on this Alphabet call that we have today? A couple of down, well, downgrade yesterday at UBS, a downgrade today at, at Bernstein. Um, what do you think about the valuations in general of large cap tech? You. Well, me? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. They're high. Well, because you own Alphabet. That's yeah. why I'm asking they're you They're high. We know, that, we know they're high. There's no, even the most bullish uh, tech investors right now will tell you that these stocks are selling at uh, premium multiples, both to their own historical multiple and, of course, to the overall market. That's not, I don't think that part of it is in contention. And oftentimes what you'll see is, Analysts will look at a story where the stock has gotten ahead of what they think the actual fundamental change is, and they'll do the prudent thing. They'll say, hey, if you've been riding the stock, maybe right now might be a good time to take a little bit off. I, I actually think that that's smart. I took some of NVIDIA off. A lot of the run in Alphabet has been predicated on revenue and earnings that may at some point come as a result of all of their AI initiatives. And Google has been working on AI seriously since like 2014 when they bought DeepMind. Mm -hmm. So it's a very long time horizon for AI to truly become a fundamental driver when you look at a cash flow statement. It's a fundamental driver of stock price today. So that part might have gotten a little ahead of ourselves. If you look at 20-year historical average for, uh, for technology companies, even though I know some of these are now considered communication, but bear with me, 18 times. Um, we're at 27. So we know they're premium. Mm -hmm. We know they're up a lot. We know a lot of the reason they're up is sentiment and excitement. And this might be a good time to take your tech uh, exposure down. Good chance to uh, go to Dom Chu uh, for a sectornomics look. He's looking at valuations. Uh, whether they've come too far too fast. Don, what are you finding as you crunch these numbers for us today? So, Scott, to, for the, to, to the conversation that you guys are just having right now about it, there are key parts of that technology trade and communication services and consumer discretionary by extension that the tech-centric type sectors 
that have seen their valuations run up quite nicely over the course of the last, call it 12 months or so. If you look at the tech sector spider up 150% over the last kind of five-year span here versus the S&P 500 at 61, there's a huge move higher. And by the way, in the wake of the pandemic is when things got really wide here. They narrowed a little bit, but they're starting to gap again at this point. So where exactly are we seeing some of the more stretched valuations? Aside from some of the stocks that you guys just mentioned, it is semiconductors, computer chips and computer storage, where we are seeing some of those extensions. Now, we're looking at forward price to earnings ratio, right? How much you pay in stock price today for next year's expected earnings. Seagate Technologies, the forward P.E. are just about 26 and a half. On average, over the course, you can see here, of the last five years, it's closer to around 11.6. So nearly about 155% gap between where the valuations are right now and where it historically has been over the last five years. Also look at some of the the chip-specific ones that focus on memory. Look at Intel forward PE here, 31.8. On average, over the last five years, closer to 11, 14.2. So that gap you can see right there is closer to about 150%. And then one other place to keep a close eye on, speaking of chips, is LAM Research. The forward PE right now, 24.3 on average over the last five years, 15 and a half. So still very much an extension. But Scott, that's what some of the traders are watching right now is that big extension over the historical average. And semiconductors seem to stick out in technology specifically, Scott. I'll send things back over to you. Yeah, love that deeper dive for us, Dom. Uh, so perfect for our conversation, Dom Chu. Thank you very much. Uh, Jenny, you own both Seagate and Intel. 26.5 versus the historical average of 11.6 for Seagate. Take that first. So I love this. So the thing about Seagate is their, their earnings are super, super cyclical. And the share price always moves well in advance of the earnings. So where I was able to buy this, la- actually, this is the third time I've owned it. I was able to buy this last year when it dipped down to $56 a share. Actually, maybe it was earlier this year. And what you see is, yeah, it looks like it's at this huge multiple, but because their earnings are so cyclical, you can see that they earned almost $10 a share two years ago. They're going to get back to that. It's going to take some time, but this is where you put your human head on, not your algo, not your program trading. And you say, I just understand how this works. And if they get back to $4 a share or $3 a share, it's trading at like 15 to 12 times. But is that, is that is that valuation where it is now worthy of being two and a half times the historical average, even even with the road ahead that you suggest is rosy? The answer is yes, because the share price and the earnings are always disconnected, so they just don't move together. And so it's not really two and a half times the average historical. It's that earnings are at an absolute trough. So I actually would argue that Dom looking at it that way distorts what the real multiple is. Is that how you're looking at Intel, too? Because you think earnings are at the trough also? This stock's not up on multiple expansion. It's up on earnings crash and burn. It's two different things. But but in both cases, right, but in both cases, I would argue very strongly these are absolute trough earnings. And so if you want to see what really the stock's trading at, you need to, you need to again, be a human, Can not be a computer. about Intel? Do you really think that strategy, as currently envisioned, is going to work? Because literally nobody else does. So here's what I think. <laughs> well, that's not true. No, honestly. Right? No, people no, that honestly. used to work there don't believe Okay, it. but here's the thing, Josh. They still... Talk I always about this a loaded up. question. Yeah, yeah. Okay, but here's the thing well, on they Intel. They want to get into the foundry well, let, business, let's, right? Let's, right? Let's, right? That's yeah, what I'm thanks for giving me a second to pull out the numbers. All right, so Intel still has a market cap of $140 billion. They still produce revenues of... Where is it? Shoot, what is it? $60 billion, Sorry. Does anyone know it's like $60 billion a year? I think it's 61. Okay, there we go. Um, go (laughs) So I think that semiconductors are like the energy space right now, where you need all of everything. So in energy, people will say, 
Look, you need all the solar, all the wind, all the coal, all the, all the nuclear, you need everything. Semis are the same. It's not going to be a winner takes all. You need everything NVIDIA is producing. You need everything Intel's producing and is going to produce. Every single thing we have on this desk, everything we're looking at technology, it's loaded with semi chips. And Intel simply makes different ones. So are they going to play NVIDIA's game? No. No, are the, they found, win the foundry back? biz, you like it? They, we need it. Okay. Right? We need it. It just supports everyday life. You got a quickie to wrap this up? Yeah, well, any business that requires the government to inject billions of dollars to keep it alive, I don't want to invest in it. So you don't want Tesla either then? Uh, I don't know any oh, chip she was companies. Ready. She was ready for you. I, I don't <laughs> know any chip companies. You this, don't know any chip companies Green chip wars, and you, you'll be scared about owning chips. Well, I'm not scared if you own NVIDIA or AMD. The governor or, of Ohio has to pay for the, the plan for this yeah. to be viable. I'd, 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 I'd rather own software. <laughs> Google. All right. Fifty-six All right. billion. In let's, take, let's take a uh, <laughs> let's take a quick break. Uh, and coming up next, off the chain demand. That's what Delta CEO is calling the current state of bookings. Committee member Jim Labenthal. He does own that stock. He's waiting in the wings to call in with his reaction. We are back in just two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right, we're back. Chart of the day. There it is. It's Delta hitting a new 52-week high today. The airline raising its second quarter guidance. CEO Ed Bastian saying it could be the best Q2 ever when that company reports its results next month. Jim Labenthal owns the stock, joins us now on the phone. Good on you, Jim. Uh, you've been telling us to stay with this. It's up 26% in a month. It's up 50% in 12 months, 38% in six months, 41% in three months. Hey, Judge, thanks. I'll avoid the uh, obvious puns here. Uh, but, you know, it's not so much that I've been telling you this. It's that Ed Bastian, the CEO of Delta Airlines, has been saying this for quarter after quarter after quarter. And I think what we're seeing, at least today, is the market is starting to believe him. Now, this is a little bit of a choose-your-own-adventure type of stock. Because if you think, if your adventure is you think there's going to be a recession, then you can't own this stock because Mr. Bastian's numbers are going to be wrong. If, like me, you think this economy is a heck of a lot stronger than people are giving credit for and that the current strength uh, in airline traffic is going to last, then what you've got here is a stock that's trading at six and a half times next year's earnings, probably goes to at least eight times earnings, uh, which means you've got about a 30 percent gain. 
uh, about a 13% free cash flow yield. It's really, you got to choose your adventure. If you think there's a recession coming, this isn't the stock for you. I don't. And I think you've got a 30% gain from here that you're looking at. Well, I mean, if you're in this stock, let's say you've been riding it up, but you do think a recession's coming, do you take this and run? Uh, yes. I mean, it's a simple answer, and I hope, being, I hope I'm being consistent. Again, if you think there's a recession coming, this is investing 101. Don't invest in airlines, right? Um, no, but however, I mean, there's a difference. There's a, what I guess I mean is there's a difference between putting fresh money into Delta today because you think that what Bastion says is going to have, pardon the pun, runway to it, and thus the stock's going to continue to perform well versus being in it for a while like you've been and saying, you know what, I think it's going to get a little dicey. I better just take these profits that I just read out to you, which are astounding, and then run. Yeah. So let me be helpful and give direct advice. If you own the stock, I'm not selling a share. Okay, let me start there. Okay. Uh, I think my position is well known over the months uh, as far as the economy and airlines. If you don't own the stock right now, you can nibble here, but there will, of course, over the summer be some bad economic news that knocks the, the stock and the markets down, and you can add to it then. So this is not a load-the-boat moment, not with those returns that you've had. If you are scared of the economy, then take your money out. But i got to say this again, I'm not selling a share. Yeah, Jimmy, I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for calling in. That's Jim Labenthal. Uh, Jenny, Absolutely. I'm looking at JetBlue's up 8%. Yeah. right now. And similar thesis. I mean, identical thesis, actually. The, the one thing where I disagree with Jim is where he says, if you think a recession's coming, you don't want to be in it. Whereas I think the question is, what kind of recession is coming? And if you think it's, you know, reasonably far off, shallow, short-lived, because the economy's already done a tremendous amount of work getting through all this hard stuff and working through the cash and dealing with the tightening that we've had. If you think that there's just a shallow, reasonable recession coming, then I think you can stick with it. And we're certainly not you, thinking of unloading you, our You do not position. think that airline stocks are going to suffer if there's a recession after what you no. could arguably suggest is a golden age for these for, for air well, travel on the backside of the about, pandemic? Well, we need to think about where they came from, too. So you need to think about the fact that JetBlue pre-pandemic was earning about $2 a share and trading at $20 a share. Stock is flat over a year, by right. the way. Exactly. We, we debated this when you bought it, and you were right, I was wrong. And yeah. I think the, the, the main thing for me is if you don't own the airlines, and a lot of people don't, do you buy them now or do you with wait this, a short while? With this amazing news flow, the median forward PE for the five large, oh, largest airlines is six times. The median earnings per share growth of you out is 16%. And see, there are not a lot of places in this market you can buy single digit multiples and double digit growth. Um, so maybe there is an opportunity. From my perspective, though, the rallies in this group are just always short lived and something else comes that's along I, and knocks them right that's back That's what I down. think is a little bit different this time, where, you know, when we say golden age, I don't really know how one defines golden age, but I'm I just suggesting that. Record earnings. Obviously, okay, what we're seeing. Record earnings, but how Record long earnings, the record numbers of, of people traveling, ticket prices at, you know, the highest levels they've been in, in many, many years that's because of the kind of demand. That's guys, not that, going that's to stay. That's this much of the story. Here's the rest of the story. The, the Delta CEO I feel like also that's the says, whole story. No, here he also says there's 300 billion of travel demand that wasn't able to happen during the pandemic. So that's the backlog. He also says there's a 17 point gap where the industry su supply should be, if not for the pandemic disruption. So what you actually have is you have a lot of tailwind. I mean, I flew home from Portland, Oregon last week, right? I've done this trip every year. Yeah, from but LA. I mean, tell me there's the plane was packed, obviously. That's not the point. Yes, the plane was packed. Why? Because there was one flight home on JetBlue. There used to be three. And so they are still just normalizing. The industry is still normalizing. There's still so much demand. And I think that demand can sustain this industry for two, three, four years. What do you think about this space? 
The uh, largest cost structure of an airline is labor and fuel. I don't like those businesses. And then you add weather to it, and it's a combustible mix. So sure, there's a pent-up demand for air travel services, no question. Uh, not a long-term stock that I like to buy and hold for years. You've been doing this a long time. Have you ever owned airline stocks? No. Uh, Jenny, jet, this jet, is the fuel, first time we've owned an airline Jenny, stock. Jet fuel, jet, jet fuel prices are down 30% year to date. That's been a major tailwind to, to Rich's point. Right, and now what if they've that, got... What if that reverses? Do you still like them as much? I still like them as much, and because I don't think it reverses by going up 30%, and I think you've, got, you've just got this huge pent-up demand, right? And you also have supply chains normalizing. I mean, you can't even get airline engines. They're not flying as many planes. To, to your point about labor, they still need labor. So as we work as we work these things out, I think more people come into that industry. But by the way, we've never owned airlines before right now, ever, for probably all the same reasons you have. But sometimes you look at an industry and say something's unique here and it might be sustainable for more than a year. All right, let's get the headlines with Bertha Coombs. Hey Bertha. Scott, FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried is now on track to face trial in October. A judge today denied his bid to have the criminal charges against him thrown out. Federal prosecutors accused Bankman-Fried of stealing billions of dollars of customer funds to make up for losses at his hedge fund. He has pleaded not guilty. A New York appeals court is throwing out part of the state's civil case against former President Donald Trump and his eldest daughter, Ivanka. New York Attorney General Letitia James accused Trump and his family of fraud, but the court today dismissed the claims surrounding Ivanka by ruling that they were too old. Trump's sons, Donald Jr. and Eric, are also defendants. James's lawsuit seeks $250 million in damages and would stop the Trumps from running businesses in the state. Malaria appears to be making a resurgence in the U.S. for the first time in two decades. The CDC issued a health alert this week about four cases detected in Florida and one in Texas. Mosquitoes spread malaria through their bite. The disease causes fever, chills, and flu-like symptoms and can be deadly if left untreated. Scott. All right, Bertha, thank you, Bertha Coombs. Up next, the Stock Summit update. We're checking in on Jenny and Josh's picks as we round out the first half of the year. We're back right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, we're going to continue our mid-year check-in on our stock summit with uh, Josh first. Chubb. How am I doing? Not well. Not uh, as well as me. Chubb, Ulta, Remind and next. Remind me what I picked. <laughs> Chubb. Okay. Ulta. Yeah. Next Era Energy. Aerospace and defense. Are you just throwing Chubb in there as like a joke on me, or <laughs> I really picked that? Yeah. All right. It's down 14% year to date. Alta's down 1%. Next Era Energy's down 11. I, um, I hear you. What I really want to talk about is Nvidia. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I only own Nextera out of the whole group, and utilities are, the I think, the worst or the second worst performing group this year. So I think it's a sector situation, but I am an investor in the company. It is paying a, a pretty good dividend, and it has a great growth story, renewable energy at utility and industrial scale. I believe that that stock is going to work long term. 
Um, I think where I was wrong on, on Chubb is really just an industry-specific thing. The insurance space is going to put through some of the largest year-over-year hikes in premiums ever, like ever, ever, ever before. And Chubb is obviously at the high end of the market, so theirs will be even more severe. And I think that for that reason, there's just a, a sentiment tampdown in that group, and I actually don't think it's going to work in the second half either. So if you listen to me on that, you know, mea culpa. I, I don't think the second half is going to bail you out. What about Ulta? Uh, Ulta had a great earnings report, and the stock sold off anyway. It's a consumer uh, darling. It's probably one of the best positioned consumer uh, publicly traded companies there is. This is a business that thrives on uh, people using makeup for social media, makeup because they're traveling somewhere, they're going out to dinner. All of the types of activities that you would be buying cosmetics for are in full force. I don't think that stops. I think Ulta is undervalued. I think the sell-off after the last earnings presents an opportunity. I don't currently own it, but that might end up in my own portfolio at some point. Why hasn't aerospace and defense worked out better? You're not the only one who's like that group and like the individual stocks on this show. It's up 3% in the last, in, in six months. Yeah, but, you know, take it back further than six months. It had an incredible 2022. And I think it's in the midst of a secular bull market that probably lasts a decade. Uh, I may not get lucky and have this thing perform in the next six months. Mm-hmm. And hence, doesn't really work out that well for this particular reindeer game. But I think, like, mm-hmm. long term, you want to make sure that you have an allocation to aerospace and defense because this is a business that I think is impervious to the rate hike cycle and the Fed and inflation. This is life or death stuff going on around the world. These are the companies that stand positioned to capitalize on that uh, that zeitgeist. Speaking of, uh, Rich Saperstein, you bought more Lockheed? Yes. Is that right? Yeah. You already own Northrop and RTX, Raytheon. So yeah. you agree then, must agree wholeheartedly with Josh's thesis long term. We do. Cold War 2.0 will occur in a dark space, whether it's ocean, cyber, or in space. And it's very important as a geopolitical hedge to own defense stocks, not to mention what's going now on now. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. uh, they're selling a lot of product. What about Boeing? It's you, a self-help you, you story. Bought, that's a new, a new yeah. buy? Yeah. It's a self-help story. Uh, converting from uh, negative cash flow to free cash flow, positive uh, the 3.7 and the 8.7 problems should be largely behind them. A uh, third of the business is defense. So, you know, I think it's a good name to own. You bought more Vistra. Uh, that's a utility as well. That's a stock I like. Uh, $10 billion. We fight, what? It only took 41 and a half minutes. <laughs> We're winners. Okay. So it's a $10 billion market cap, small cap utility in Texas, moving from uh, coal to clean fuels generate $4 billion of cash flow, a billion goes to interest expense, $3 billion cash flow available. They're buying a billion and a half of stock back, $300 million of dividends. So 18% of market cap is going back to shareholders. You can't find that anywhere. So it's an amazing cash flow story. That's the type of opportunity I like. All right. So, Jenny, Kohl's for you, down 13%. You've had a huge win with Uber. Uh, which we know Josh is uh, in as well. He's talked about it numerous times, up 80% year-to-date. Give me partial credit. I will. give you a little bit. B&G Foods, um, up 27%. You want credit for that, too? No. Okay. Um, (laughs) Why? Because I shop there? (laughs) I don't even know what that is. Just kidding. Keep going. Yeah, you do. I don't want to derail the show, Scott. Okay, Jenny. Jenny, B&G, and then the XLF. 
uh, has not been a winner. It's down 5%. Now, so my, what about from here forward, though? Right. So from here forward, I like the, I like the three stocks. Um, I chose them all because I thought they were wildly irrationally oversold going into the beginning of this year. Um, even Uber up 80%, I think there's still upside to go in that. I don't think there's another plus 80, but I think it's significant. It's just a really, really successful company who's starting to mint free cash where they hadn't done that in the past. The one thing I would change would be the XLF, and I think I didn't account enough for how much net interest margin pressure there would be as rates continue to go up for the bank. So that's one, like, I don't think I'm going to make a lot of money in that. Maybe I'm wrong. I chose it because looking across the sectors, going into the year, it had the best growth to um, valuations. Like, Do you want to just give a, a quick exciting. thought on Uber, um, on, on what your outlook is for the second half for a stock that's just soared? Uber is now per personally my largest position, mostly because of how much it's up uh, this year. Um, I'm not buying more of it, but I do believe that of all the stocks I own, this is the one that has the potential to significantly uh, grow its market cap based on the growth in its business. And I think the only thing that's held it back this long is the fact that they're not profitable. And Wall Street wants to see profits. They didn't five years ago, they do today. They're almost there uh, on a full year basis. And when that happens, they'll get put into the S&P 500. This will become an index stock. It'll get traded right alongside, I think, the, the larger cap FANG stocks and NASDAQ stocks, it'll just be like one of the gang. And if and when that happens, it ain't going to be an $88 billion market cap. It's just too big of a platform and too elementally important to the economy, not just here, but around the world. So I, I, love, this, I love the situation that Uber's in right now. It's taken a long time, but a lot of people are waking up to the things that I've been thinking and saying for a minute. All right. Uh, up next, Mike Santoli is with us with his midday word when we come back. Our senior markets commentator, Mike Santoli, here for his midday word. Pretty good day. Highs of the day just right now. Yeah, a lot of things working together for uh, for a change today. Um, you know, we had this cute little 2 to 3% pullback. Everything was very orderly. We've been talking about it for a week. You did have some broadening out of the the strength in the market. I'm not sure anything really got decided by the data today, except that uh, it reinforces a few trends. Here are the groups, among the groups, outperforming the S&P on a year-to-date basis now. Industrials have been for a while. Transports, consumer discretionary, equal weighted. So that doesn't paint the picture of a super lopsided market with five tech stocks working and nothing else. That being said, it still feels very neutral in terms of we built up a lot of the gains. We seem to have this premise of a softer landing that's now being widely adopted. So what's the next incremental piece of, of, of surprise? I don't know. It's good that we got the strong run of economic numbers without having a Treasury market panic uh, with higher yields. So all that stuff is, is pretty comfortable. We'll see what the central bankers say tomorrow yeah. over in Portugal. But I can't imagine there's much they could say at this point that we don't already know and haven't heard. Exactly. And, you know, I think the market has digested that idea that they're not going to be quick to, to come to the rescue if the numbers fall apart. But the numbers aren't falling apart in terms of the economy. Yet. Yeah. All right. Good stuff. We'll see yeah. you at closing bell. That's Mike Santelli. More committee moves coming up next. All right, Jenny, have some moves to uh, get to. Otherwise, Ventas is a new buy for you, VTR. Right. So this was in our discipline growth strategy, even though it's a REIT. It's got a 3.8% yield. But what's really interesting here is this is a company that owns senior housing communities. So if you believe in the wealth of seniors and the growth of seniors in the U.S., the wind's at its back. As we were talking about before, as, as we're in a tightening environment, growth is harder to come by. But there are some unique companies with built-in growth. And in this case, they have pretty much built-in 15% net operating income growth for the next several years as they come out of the pandemic. People move into the senior housing. They have 
rent escalators. It's a really well-run company. It's an $18 billion market cap. They've got $3 a share in FFO and buck eighty of dividend. Do you have a brochure for Steve Weiss? <laughs> <laughs> we'll, pass it, we'll pass it on. Wow. What about what about oh, yeah. w, what about WPP? Let's okay, get this to has that been our international strategy. A London-based media firm. I think people have thrown the baby out with the bathwater on media and advertising. Meanwhile, if you want to get your media and advertising right, you really need professional help. This has a six and change yield on it. Trades at 14 times earnings, eight percent earnings growth ahead for the next few years. Okay, so you're looking to selectively buy some stocks, mm-hmm. even in this uh, all right uncertain I think there's pockets of opportunity. All right, we'll do final trades next. Three o'clock Eastern, closing bell. Hope you'll join me. Avery Sheffield will, along with John Spallanzani. Look forward to talking about where this market is going to go over the next six months. And right now, we got a pretty good thing going today. We're just about the highs of the day, off just a touch. The Qs are working well today, though. Josh, nice day for technology, which is the outperformer today. NASDAQ's up 1.3%. I don't know, hasn't had a down July since 07. I like those odds. It's like, it's like betting against the Washington Generals. How could you lose? Unless, unless you think it's time for a give back. Well, I guess we'll have to tune in later to find that. I don't Rich, know. Rich we'll Saperstein? <laughs> How about that? The market? Yeah. It's well, good. Look, it's good today. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> really? Welcome. It's what good a, to have uh, you back. What a way to end the show, Josh. Yeah. You have a final trade for yeah. me? Lockheed Martin, uh, $145 billion backlog on $65 billion in annual sales. Five and a half percent free cash flow yield. Good products. Okay, good stuff. Thanks for that, Rich. Appreciate it. Jenny? Okay, Crown Castle, the most recent addition to the equity income strategy, five and a half percent yield. That dividend should grow low single digits for the next couple years, pick up speed after that. They have cell towers and small cell units. All right, thank you. And Josh Brown? I don't have a position in Robinhood currently. I'm watching 10 and a quarter as a trigger for a breakout. This stock has been in a downtrend since the day it was born. Literally, go look at a three-year chart. Um, But something has happened. I think there might be a double bottom at eight and a quarter technically. Mm. This is a stock still with a lot of shorts. They just announced layoffs, which the street likes. Keep an eye on it. All right. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report disclaimer. We could try to explain what it feels like to get your work done on a John Deere, the way a Z-Track mower finishes in half the time you thought it would, or how much easier it is to move mountains of soil with a 1 Series tractor. We could even go into detail about how it feels to tow up to 4,000 pounds behind a Gator XUV. But if you really want to know what it's like to run with us, you just have to get in the seat. Learn more at johndeere.com slash get in the seat or visit a dealer near you.